This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Hey, you've all heard the commercial, Milk Means More, and it certainly does in Michigan because of the partnership between the Food Bank Council of Michigan and the Michigan Milk Producers Association, along with the United Dairy Industry of Michigan. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention Kroger and their company, Michigan Dairy, who processes literally tons of milk for our food banks. Milk means more. But here's another one for you. Mass means more or at least we hope it does. Mass is funded by a grant from the state of Michigan to the Food Bank Council, and we use this grant to buy the produce our farmers can't sell to retail outfits. They're seconds. They're uglies. We rescue them from going unused or to the landfill, and the return on investment is amazing because our cost averages only 12 to 14 cents a pound. We recently had one of our farmers on to discuss mass, and today we have Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for Quarry, Johnson, and Levitt, to speak with us about how the legislative budget process works, how the legislature feels about our mass program, and will it mean more during this budget cycle for our farmers and the families we serve? Join Jerry, Stephanie, and me in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, managing partner for Corey Johnson and Levitt, Stephanie Johnson is our guest today. So, Stephanie, welcome back to Food First Michigan. We've got a lot to talk about, so welcome. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. I always enjoy talking with you guys. Well, we would like to talk with you, maybe time for a little civics lesson here, uh, <laughs> because... Because we have a line item. Um, Jerry and I uh, talked about it. We had a, one of our farmers from up in Posen, wasn't it, Jerry? Yeah, Posen, Michigan, the potato capital of the world. Absolutely. He was on the show a few weeks ago to talk about how great uh, this mass program. So, you know what? You probably have more history about mass, uh, Stephanie, than than even Jerry and I. So why don't you tell us what mass is, tell our audiences, and, uh, and then we'll do a little bit of a civics lesson to talk about how that line item gets funded. Oh, sure. Hey, I, I've told you this before. I love this program. Uh, MASS stands for Michigan Agricultural Surplus System. And Michigan has the uh, ability, the, the point of pride here to say we were the first state in the country to in, initiate a program such as this. Um, what MASS does is whenever there's excess uh, product or excess or a grower is unable to unload whatever commodity they have, instead of letting it stay in the field and go to waste, get turned over, sit on the tree and rot, go to a landfill, they're able to work with and coordinate with the food banks and get that product to the food bank council, which in turn allows them to have Michigan-grown product within their network that is not only from the state and supporting local growers, but also uh, 
is able to get fresh product within the network. So there's a health component to that as well. I mean, we all know that, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables are, you know, a key to health and um, that it's, it's, much better to eat that way than it is to re-eat the, the cans of whatever it is on the shelf that's got all the preservatives in it. So we're able to connect the two, the food banks and the growers, and have this win-win situation. In addition to that, the, the grower ends up not taking such a huge loss on whatever it is that they, uh, the commodity that they have. Uh, the food bank's able to pay to pay their cost and, and the, the money it takes to get it out of the field and to the next point so it can be distributed. So there, it's not necessarily a profit-making venture for growers, but at least they don't lose what they've put into the product. So we're really proud of this program. Michigan started it in the early 90s. I want to say 90, 91 type um, at a time, and we were able to get a state appropriation and build on that appropriation, um, which helps support the, the mainly the fuel costs, the trucking costs of getting it out of the field and into the network. Um, and so over that course of, I don't know, 20 years or more, it's grown significantly. Other states have looked at it and now they've modeled programs after it. I think there's over 25, almost 30 states now that have a program such as this. And we've been able to not only keep it within Michigan, but we're also able now to kind of take it on a national scale with um, when we have some sort of product that we can't, the food banks in Michigan can't utilize all of it, we're able to put that in the food bank network on the national level. So if we have three truckloads of onions and, and Michigan can only really utilize two, that third truckload can then go to support other food paint networks within other states. So again, the growers have a new market. It's, it's I'm not, I don't even call it a secondary market because there's already a secondary market. We're probably underneath that somewhere. <laughs> but, um, but we have the access to fresh product, locally grown product, and product that we can put into our network to increase the ability to feed people and get more pounds in the, in the um, coffers. You know, Jerry, uh, I've heard Stephanie say this, but she probably doesn't want this on the show, which is why I'm going to say it. Um, you know, this is her favorite program to lobby for. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, she, that's why I wanted her to introduce it. She understands it as well or better than we do. Well, but what, know, I, I have a farm background, and so farming is kind of near and dear to my heart. And obviously helping people who don't have access to food and, and have uh, food insecurity problems, this is, this is great. Not only that, the farmers get a win out of it too. It's just one of these programs where there's just so many wins. And um, the food bank's ability to move product for pennies on the pound is unreal, un, un, just unbelievable the way you're able to leverage things and, and utilize and keep the resources, the, the cost going into the resources to a minimum. It is, it's just a fun program. It's, it's wonderful. It's my favorite. Jerry, what does it mean to, to the food banks? Well, uh, you know, it means a lot. Uh, so, so to be more specific, um, when we look at food banking and, and where it's come and where it's been, the big opportunity for food banks has for a long time been the fresh food that's grown that isn't harvested or that's harvested and unsold. And to just 
frame that from a from a total numbers standpoint, it's over 70 billion pounds of food in the U.S. alone that's grown and unharvested or harvested but not sold. Now, how do we as a community deal with all this surplus food is something that we started grappling with in the 50s and still don't have figured out. We're still trying to figure out the transportation issues and the cost issues and how to make the best use of this incredible resource. And we've had so many people on this show talk about the various dimensions of this from an environmental standpoint, from an energy use standpoint, from a land use standpoint, right? We've, we've seen the, the impact of having all this underused food and we're step by step by step dealing with it. One of the best ways to deal with it is this way. To take the food, which is what people want and need, it's good for them, it's super nutritious, it's significantly below wholesale cost. It doesn't matter if it looks perfectly shiny either. We can take seconds and we can take food that grocery stores don't want, but which is perfectly good food, right? We can take all of that opportunity and turn it into food security for our community. So that in turn means mm. kids learn in school. It means people are less sick and less likely to have to manage chronic diseases. It means we can drive better results in terms of cost benefit from our government programs. It means so many positive things. So besides the program in and of itself, which is powerful and amazing, the way it connects to the whole food chain and feeding hungry people adds a whole nother dimension of amazing. So I, I'm with Stephanie. It's one of my favorite programs. Now, I do have a vested interest, right? I mean, I, I run a food bank and we need the food. So I will admit to a certain bias here, but hopefully have laid out the rationale well enough that it's not just my ideology. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard to find a program um, where you're asking for resources that that can also generate some sort of economic benefit on the back end, you know. And so this sort of this still does that in the sense that growers uh, are able to have a new market to get unload product that they're unable to unload outside of other more traditional forms. And so you're, you're still generating an amount of economic activity while you are providing needed food and, and food security for individuals who can't um, or who are struggling to meet those needs. You know, uh, Stephanie, one of the things I want us to cover, we'll probably have to do it in the next segment, is I, I mentioned earlier about a civics lesson because this is a grant that comes to the Food Bank Council um, through DHHS that's, you know, the legislature's got a role here too. I mean, you know, they're, they're really telling us how, we can, how the money can be spent anyway. So maybe on the other side of this break, uh, we can do the little civics lessons just to remind us how this happens. And then, you know, uh, the question is, will mass mean more this year? More for the farmers, more for the families that we serve. So uh, we're back with Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for Corey Johnson and Levitt, Jerry Brisson, and me, Dr. Phil Knight. We're all three back. You come back and be with us. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. 
Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Back with Stephanie Johnson, the managing partner for Corey Johnson and Levitt. The, she is our lobbyist in Lansing for the MASS program, the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System. And uh, there's a way this all happens. Jerry, what, what, what about the civics here? You know, I just want to say for anyone that's still with us and listening right now that you stayed for the civics lesson is amazing. Just right off the top, like I can tell you, I think I only know two high school kids that love civics. I don't know. So here we are. You're listening. We're so thankful. Anyway, the civics lesson is coming. It's riveting. It's riveting. So here we go. Stephanie, tell us, how does state government work? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, um, <laughs> where do I begin? You know, the, <laughs> the, the budget process is unique and it happens every year. And what I think a lot of people uh, may not know is Michigan has a constitutional requirement to have a balanced budget passed by October 1 of every year. So we, we can't run debt, we can't carry debt off into the new year like, uh, like the federal budgets can and maybe even some other states. I mean, obviously for transportation purposes and things like that, we do bonding, but we, can't, we have to have a balanced budget at the end of every year or at the, to start the, the new year. Um, so it, it's a unique process every year. You know, 12, 15 years ago, and this was when term limits really did, were beginning to start, start to take a hold in the state, but there were still a lot of uh, holdovers that had been in office for a while. We had a pretty solid process, and you could count on the process every year. Process didn't change very much. Maybe the funding did, maybe what the state had as far as available resources and funds to put into programs would change, but the process you could count on. Um, Over the course of time, particularly as term limits now are deeply rooted and we have a lot of changes every two years, we have a pretty good shift in new legislators coming in to the process. Um, The process is different. And so they went to, for a while, they were doing these omnibus budgets that rolled everything into one budget and it was one vote, which made it very difficult sometimes to negotiate and trade and do things like um, that oftentimes kind of get things moving along. Uh, a lot of stalemates. Then it was running the deadline till the very last second, even su- shutting the state down for about four hours once because they didn't have the budget enacted by the, the midnight of that last day of September to now we're going back to individual budgets. It used to be a budget would start in one chamber, move to the next chamber, then go to a conference committee, and then go off to the Gov's office, to the Gov's desk. Well, now they're running both budgets at the same time in the same chamber. Somehow or another, they're gonna reconcile these things in conference and go on. So it, every year, it's different. Um, and every year, obviously, you have a new set of circumstances with revenue. Now, this is one of the few years where we really um, we're not experiencing a lot of bad revenue problems because of all the federal dollars that have poured in the state from the whole COVID relief funds, um, as well as the uh, additional unemployment benefits that people have been able to receive throughout COVID. So the general fund budget, the general fund portion of our budget is um, not as strapped as what has been uh, over the past few years. 
That doesn't mean that once the COVID relief funds are gone and have been dispersed and spent, that we, we still may be left with a structural deficit that we'll have to deal with. But right now, that's not really what our situation is. Right, what, right now what's going on is, is the legislature and the governor are trying to stake out what their priorities are. And their priorities aren't necessarily lining up. And so that's going to make things tricky as we move forward. There is obviously a, a huge desire, always a huge desire, to have a budget completed before they recess for the summer. Um, and that usually, they, they usually recess around July 1. Um, so July, August are, are fairly light with the legislative schedule. Um, there's a kind of a question mark of whether they're going to meet that goal or not right now because there are a lot of very deep philosophical differences. Um, and it, it goes not only into the financing, you know, what programs that they support versus programs that they don't support, but it goes a little further than, than that when it comes to um, some of the COVID-related policies that have been put forth and a disagreement with that. And if the legislature is unable to really um, move the governor in a direction that they want to go, then the, their leverage is funding, right? They're, right now, their leverage is the budget and what kind of budget they're going to send the governor to sign and, or line item veto or whatever. And so they're using this as, as leverage to try to work on other items that they have some differences in as well. So it's, it's a, it's, it's a interesting process that is constantly changing, is very dynamic. It's not something that you learned in your high school civics class, to be really honest with you. They make it sound real neat and clean, and it's just <laughs> not. <laughs> and, and that's the fun of it, right? You know, that's the fun of it, is trying to figure out where you have to plug in, who you need to talk to at the right time, at the right place, with the, with the right message. Um, and, you know, we've had this week budgets moved out of appropriations subcommittees. Um, in each chamber, there's a full appropriations committee. That committee is then broken down into subcommittees based on the individual budget. So Department of Health and Human Services is where the mass program happens to be. So that, but that subcommittee reported out their budget yesterday in the House, in the Senate, they're planning on doing it today. So we're waiting to see what the Senate is, subcommittee is going to put in their budget and how that's gonna move forward and see where the, the two line up because the House and Senate, they're not always on the same page either. So you, they've gotta get on the same page and then they, we gotta to try to get the governor on the same page with everybody in order for us to have a product at the end of the day. And that's gonna take some time. It's it's, it's, it's time and it's important work. Uh, I remember another time you were on the show with us, Stephanie, and, um, and I just asked you the question, well, why would the food banks need a lobbyist? And I'll never forget your answer. I've quoted it a million times. And you said, well, it's because everybody else has one. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, and, the pot of money is it's it's not infinite, right? There's only a certain amount, and so uh, getting that message and trying to make your program a priority for legislators to want to support it 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 takes a lot. There's so many things to say about that. Not the least of which is the expertise, right? Understanding what to say, how to say it, how much time you have to say it, when to say it, who to say it to, how often to say it 
when you have a chance, when you really don't have a chance, when is it worth pushing, when, do you, when should you lay back. It's understanding the dynamics of the process and the, the personalities of the people involved and the subject matter all wrapped into one big bundle. And of course, that is where all that value comes from. And so you need smart people and dedicated people. And Stephanie, certainly you have been dedicated to this issue with us for a long time. Um, we certainly don't pay you enough, but don't tell your partners. <laughs> uh, I, it's, it's plenty. <laughs> Just leave it at that. <laughs> Well, it is it is a, a budget maze for sure, and um, and you know for and we're gonna take a quick break here uh, and come back for our third segment. But the food bank council has asked for an increase this year, um, and, and and it's because the the uh, the need is is higher this year than it's been certainly since I've been with the food bank council, um, and it's because of the pandemic. But it's also traditionally every year we, we kind of run out of money before we run out of food in Michigan. And we'd like for this budget, this mass line item, to be able to stretch through the Michigan growing season so we can rescue and get more fresh produce into our system. Uh, so let's take a quick break. Jerry Brisson, Stephanie Johnson, Dr. Phil Knight here. We'll be back in just a moment. Don't forget to come back and be with us too. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stephanie Johnson is our guest today with Jerry Brisson and myself, Dr. Phil Knight. We are talking about the mass line item in the Food Bank Council of Michigan with the, the budgeting process with the state. It's very important. Uh, guys, did you know that we our average cost uh, using these, this grant from the state of Michigan to the Food Bank Council is somewhere between 12 and 14 cents a pound. I mean, we're really good shoppers. <laughs> That's true. That is yeah. absolutely true. We're the return on investment back to the state for their trusting us to use this food, this money to buy Michigan product and get it to families that are food insecure is phenomenal. And Stephanie, you mentioned earlier in the show that over 25, some, somewhere around 30 states have copied the MASS program. In fact, I got an email this week uh, from our friends just to the west in Illinois, and they want to start the, pro the program. Now, <laughs> knowing that the program's called MASS, I'm not sure really what Illinois is going to call theirs, but... Well... That's I'll, leave, I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just leave that dead silence there. <laughs> so, so Steph, what are you hearing about the mass program? Because from, from, my, from my vantage point, people seem really happy and excited. I'm talking about our legislators, uh, the chair of the committees uh, for the DHHS, um, Senator Altman. He, he seems really excited about this program and the good that it does and how many wins there are associated with it. So what you got your ear to the ground. What, what are you hearing? You know, the, the one nice thing about uh, advocating for the food bank is that it is well received and well respected. I think uh, most 
most legislators have a relationship with uh, their food bank uh, leader within their region and within their area. Uh, they've had the ability, the food banks do a great job at making sure they invite the elected officials to their, to their locations and kind of explain and show them what they do and what it's all about. And I know that the food banks in, in all the communities have a, just a wonderful reputation. Um, you talk about the return on investment. One of the things that I think that uh, they do extremely well is they show that return on investment. They're able to quantify every pound and the cost per pound of every product. And so your, your system of um, inventory and calculating and measuring is, is uh, just second to none. So it's been, it, it's, it's a good program to talk with legislators about because they, they generally know about it, they've generally been acquainted with it, and, and they've had some experience with it. Um, and I think the issue of food security or insecurity has really resonated, and I think people understand that too. Uh, school districts have done a tremendous job at helping with the message and talking about children coming into to class every day that they know didn't get dinner the night before, or they know that they want to send them home with a backpack on Friday, so they have some sort of assurance that they that the child's going to receive some sort of nutrition over the course of Saturday and Sunday when they're not at school getting that meal. And that's been communicated really well. I think over the last year, obviously, um, you know, we put everything at, at, the, at the feet of COVID, right? COVID has created this, this uh, monumental um, obstacle for everybody in every way you can possibly imagine. And, and when it came to food distribution and food delivery, um, obviously you were hit, the food banks were hit first with um, the whole magnitude of what this was going to entail back last March, particularly when the children were um, mandated to virtual learning and no longer in, in the classroom. And so with that, because there was all of a sudden um, a food shortage almost, so to speak, uh, and trying to get that food out, there were a number of federal funds that were able to be immediately released so um, food banks could purchase the product and get it out the door and get it to the people in need. So I think um, one of the things that I have heard over the course of the last couple uh, weeks since we've been working on this with the legislature is, you know, well, wait a minute, don't they have a lot of federal funding um, that has helped them? And maybe we don't want to do any increase in mass because that money can be put someplace else that's going to also provide a benefit. Because, again, there's a lot of good programs that are being funded here, not just um, ours, but... Um, so there's been a real learning curve. I mean, the federal dollars came and they went as fast as they came and trying to explain the reasons why and that there still is a basic need. Because as you said, Phil, um, even before COVID, that mass money was running out in April or May. Well, there's still a lot of growing season left, mm -hmm. left June, July, August, September, that you really want to be able to capitalize on product and get that into the network that's still out there. So um, that's been one of the challenges that we've been we've been dealing with for sure. Well, Jerry, what do you what do you think about that? The food banks did get a lot of federal money uh, throughout the pandemic. Where'd that money go? <laughs> well, it went mostly to <laughs> what it takes to feed people. I mean, on average, food banks efficiency ratings are outstanding you know somewhere between 93 and 97 cents of every dollar that we get 
goes to food and food programs that serve people, and that's all verifiable in our you know very public financial statements and Form 990s and those places that you can look. So, I mean, the first thing to say is um, food banks spend their money on food and, and logistics to get food to people. That's where most of the money goes. But the other, there's a couple other really important things to keep in mind when you when you talk about the pandemic and the aid that was provided for the pandemic. One of those things is that every federal dollar and certainly every state dollar is audited, right? And so those or those entities don't just hand you a bunch of money and say, "Hey, have fun. Hope you have a great day." <laughs> they say, "Here's the money. Here's what it's for. Here's when you have to use it. Here's when we're going to check your books." And, you know, here's how this is all going to work. So those understandings are built in the process of getting funds from those programs. And, of course, we accomplished exactly what we said we were going to do, maybe a little bit more than we thought we could do with all of the funds we got. Secondly, I would say a lot of the aid that came to food banks came in the form of food. And so the truth is we had to subsidize some of those programs with our own dollars to pay for the logistics and administration because what we got was the food and not those other dollars. Now, fortunately, there were funders available who helped us cover those costs, right? But but it's not just a perfect uh, you know world where everything you get is just free to you, right? There's there's some effort and some cost to to utilize those funds um, and the products that we actually get as a result of getting that aid. Now, not to be ungrateful. The number of people that were that were food insecure prior to the pandemic in our five counties, this is just gleaners, was roughly 700,000, a little bit more than 700,000 people. During the pandemic, that went to over 1.4 million people. So while it does seem like, man, you guys got a lot, the fact of the matter is there was a lot of need. And mm -hmm. so if I were going to say to people how to gauge, you know, what monies to give to who when, you really have to look at what the need is. You have to look at the cost of providing the relief of that suffering, whatever that suffering is. And then you've got to look at the long-term impact of if you do or don't do that work. It's not just about who got money for what. In other words, we can't all be in a line out here to have our hand out no matter what we're doing and just expect to get paid. We have to have results. We have to show both more and better in order to be thought of as a worthy, if you will, recipient of those funds. And what I would say about the food bankers in the state of Michigan is they work pretty hard to, to have good returns on those investments. And that's why we're still in line. The need is high. We're good at managing the work that we do. We are going to do at least, if not more, than everything we're asked. And that's why we're saying, hey, this program deserves consideration. Well, about 40, the, across the state, uh, the food banks here in Michigan increased their distribution by 46%. That was in the face of about 50 and sometimes more than that, over 70% increase in need. And that hasn't gone away. I mean, hasn't, it, it's getting better. It's definitely getting better. But the K-type recovery that we're in, folks who are in direct service types of jobs, are going to take longer for them to recover. And we, we anticipate that there'll be heightened food insecurity need through at least June of 2022. And that's why they ask for the mass budget. Uh, so that, that and you know, and not to say anything that Stephanie, that 
that farmers hadn't had it easy during the pandemic either. Uh, but, you know, I don't know when farmers ever have it easy. Uh, I mean, to be, I mean, honest to God, I mean, this weather or it's cold, it's hot, it's too much rain, it's not enough rain. Oh my, and, 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 and who can control that? Not even a lobbyist in Lansing can control that. So, you know, Steph, you're our stand in the gap person. So, uh, thank you for who you are and for what you do. And thanks for being with us. And, uh, thanks for standing in the gap for us. Uh, between us and the legislature. And we do believe that the legislature and the administration all have um, the, the, the food banks of Michigan close to their heart and believe in our work. And more importantly, they trust us. Yeah. Jerry and I are back in just a moment. You come back and be with us. We'll be right here. Jerry, always love having a conversation with Stephanie, and that was the best civics lesson that I've ever had. <laughs> well, I hope I hope that's the truth for everyone out there. I love this stuff myself. I, I'm fascinated by how things work and how to make things work. And of course, if you're trying to solve complex problems, understanding who the players are and what they want and how they work, that's all part of what you have to do. So happy to have good help like Stephanie and her team. Uh, and, and, you know, really the people that stand for us in the gap. Many state legislators have been on our show, are publicly supportive of our work, and behind the scenes doing as much as they possibly can to feed our community um, and, and to eliminate food insecurity. They do believe food first, right? They believe it. And so we're Absolutely. grateful for all that support. We really are. And so, you know, the work doesn't end, though. We still have work to do. We still got to, you know, make sure that everyone understands the cost and benefit and the huge impact of what we do. And so we're at it. And here we are. Well, Jerry, I think, you know, we don't often on this show call for have a, a, a call to action. But I think today's a good time to do that, that whoever your legislator might be for the state, your your representative or your state senator, it wouldn't hurt to send them an email give them a phone call, just talk to one of their staff and say, hey, you know, the Food Bank Council has a line item for this program called Mass, and we would appreciate you supporting it. Because the fact of the matter is, Jerry, everybody wins with Mass. The farmers yeah. win, the environment wins, the food banks win, and most importantly, the families that we serve win. Absolutely right. And so... Um, it really is, no matter how deeply you look at this program, it works on every level. We're proud of it. I think everyone you know, should be proud of it, and we are ready to roll even more to help farmers, to help families, and to help the state do a good job. Well, the Food Bank Council is uh, leading this effort to increase our mass line items so we can get more food more often to more people. We've put out a sign-on letter, and Jerry, we have 37 uh, organizations and people who have signed on to this letter. Now, you might think, hey, 37 is not that many. But let me tell you a couple of the people who are on this and a couple of the organization. You'll remember Ken Novus, the dairy farmers from St. John's that's a part of the Michigan Milk Producers Association. But then there's Michigan Apple Association, Mich Michigan Fresh Marketing, 
Michigan Milk Producers Association, Michigan Pork Producers Association, Michigan Turkey, Michigan Potato, Michigan uh, Vegetable. My gosh, man, everybody supports this program. Absolutely right, and because they know the value of it. I mean, we've been at this a long time. We've reached a lot of people. They know how important it is to, to their constituents and their farmers and their growers. And let me just say, Family farms have not had an easy time either. And so this supports Michigan family farms. There's so many reasons to love this program. So, well, Jerry, enough of our enthusiastic rants. It's time for a little food for thought. The Food Bank Council Network grew their infrastructure in order to increase food distributions by 46% during the pandemic. The financial recovery for COVID-19 will take some residents longer to recover than others, like those employed in the service industry. Our team, led by Dr. Don Opel, used the same numbers, the same information the legislature uses to project revenue for the state. We used it to project food insecurity rates. That information comes to us from the Seminar on Qualitative Economics at the University of Michigan. And recently, Don Grimes from the seminar was our guest here on the show. The USDA has stopped two major programs, and that has accounted for almost half of the food we distributed during the pandemic. The combination of these two things, the higher food insecurity rates and the loss of food, is the reason the Food Bank Council is asking for an increase in the Michigan Agricultural Surplus System line item so we can continue to get more food more often to more people throughout these days and months ahead. And that's why we'll always strive to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.